Jesus, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are the river of life and you can find us remaining and resting and washed over by you. We thank you, God, for your goodness. And when we're cracked and dry, you come and fill and you are the healing balm that restores and makes new, that you are the one that loves and gives meaning and understanding. Jesus, we just come just admitting and confessing our need for you. We are here just stating that we need you. We love you. We desire to be more like you. And God, we just thank you that you are the river of life. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, amen. And you may be seated. I uh, I love that song. Uh, my friend sang it. And that's an older song, too, by Delirious. I don't know if you remember that worship band. They were big when I was in college. And so that was like 30 years ago. But um, still, the lyrics are true. Nevertheless, uh, as we continue this morning, we do thank you for your continued giving with tithes and offerings. If you have not yet received the end of year giving for 2022, you could see uh, Missy Semperbon. And if you have questions about that statement, you can contact her as well. People are giving online, which we're so grateful for. Missy made me aware of an online or the online gift for December, which it kind of surprised me. It was just incredible. And then people still mail checks uh, to the chapel campus, our uh, physical address, and well give in person. And we just thank you so much for that. All right. And if you're watching online, if you didn't hear that, if you have not received yours yet, then Missy will email you if she has your email address. So you might need to email her with that address. But we just uh, feel so fortunate because God's allowing us to be able to give more and more to different people in need, to different projects that show God's love in practical ways for us to be able to reach out into the community instead of just hoarding the money for ourselves so we can We'll sit here and be all happy. It's more, how can we go out? How can we connect with people? How can we invite people into the love of God? And so uh, we just thank you for that uh, continued obedience and doing those things. Uh, Stephen was martyred. It's not like the opening line you want to hear. It's not like, hey, everybody get happy. Like church is about to begin. It's the solemn uh, thought of how we ended last week of Stephen was martyred. Stephen was chosen by his peers to run a food program with Philip and five others. Stephen was martyred, though. We look at the end. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. His last words, his final words were, do not charge them with this sin. What a Christ-like example Stephen lived and died, and what an example for us to make aware that as we live, we can say, do not hold this accusation against them. Do not hold this sin against them. But Jesus, you came that all might be forgiven, so let us forgive as well that they might know the truth of Jesus. But at what cost? At what cost are you, am I prepared to make the truth of Jesus known? At what cost are you willing to say, hey, here I am, God, use me? Is it when people start to speak poorly about you? You might say, well, I'm strong, I can handle it. But what if it's your spouse? Well, eh, that bothers me, but she's pretty strong too. It's just, uh, I don't really like it. But then they just go to start accusing your children. At what cost do we put up with saying, hey, I'm standing for Jesus no matter what, at what 
cost are you prepared to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to believe what the Bible says. I'm going after the truth of God. I posted it on our Facebook page. It was uh, Charles Templeton and Billy Graham. And the whole story is this guy, Chuck, he was known as a great evangelist. People were coming to hear him speak. And Billy Graham was a younger evangelist, kind of just getting started. How many of you have heard of Billy Graham? most of us. And so Billy Graham, he was just kind of like uh, getting started. And so he went to his friend Chuck and his friend Chuck and him were saying, hey, there's things in the Bible I don't, I don't know I'm wrestling with. Like, is it true? And Chuck said, ah, I don't know. I think I'm just going to walk away from God and maybe teach philosophy or be a part of something different. And Billy said, I guess I shouldn't call him Billy. I should call him Reverend Graham or Dr. Graham. But he said, I'm at the point that even though it might seem as a contradiction as in the Bible, or I have a question about it, I put my life into believing what the Bible says is true. Even if I haven't experienced it yet, even if my education says something different, my life is going to be devoted to what the Bible says. Well, this Charles Templeton ended up passing away, and on his deathbed, he was, well, not on his deathbed, but before he passed away, he had an interview with Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was an atheist that became a Christian, and Lee was asking Chuck all these questions, and Chuck eventually said, man, I do miss God. There was no sign of uh, repentance after that, but there was this, I miss that God that I had a relationship with, and Billy Graham, he went on understanding there are things he did not understand. He did not know, but he was going to put his complete faith in what the Bible said to be true. At what cost? Even if there's unbelief, we can still follow Jesus. Well, everyone liked this idea. This is when the apostles said, hey, we don't want to be in charge of the food program. So you choose some people from among you and Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, and these other guys uh, were all selected. And so I could pronounce Stephen and Philip. And so we're going to look at Philip. But before we do, we have to look at sometimes with the best intentions, things are done incorrectly. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at, this is Stephen, and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They, he was thrown into a pit. They took big boulders and rocks that they could only get with two hands and throw or roll down this bank and killed him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul. So in the Old Testament, we know of King Saul. In the New Testament, this is a different Saul. Saul. Saul was one that was educated within the church. He had the best education possible. He was selected because he had a high IQ. There was something about Saul that people wanted him to learn from. People wanted to follow Saul. Saul had a purpose. For which purpose are you living? Stephen lived for one purpose. Saul lived for another purpose. For which purpose are you living? At what cost for which person? purpose. At what cost Stephen was willing to give his life, for which purpose Saul was undecided until he became Paul, but that's a little bit later on in the book of Acts. 
Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. This is where I want to ask for a little bit of grace, but ask that your mind is not open where everything falls out, but your mind is wide enough to understand what is being said, because Stephen was accused of blaspheme, just like Jesus was. Stephen was accused of saying that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the Christ. He was the one that the Jewish nation had been longing for. And in Saul's mind, this was not true. They were scattered, fight or flight. Sometimes you're scattered for a purpose. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with the great mourning. We'll get to this point about Saul in a moment. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison because Saul thought Stephen was wrong. Saul thought that this new way of thinking and within the church culture was wrong. He thought it was blasphemy. He thought it was incorrect. He thought it was leading people away from the Old Testament law and leading people to something different. This woke culture. Saul thought he was purging the religious institution from being woke, whatever that means. It's a buzzword. It kind of sounds cool. And then you read all the research like, oh, you don't want to be woke. I thought I wanted to be woke. I thought it was like really cool and hip and up to date. But this is what Saul was coming against. He thought that Stephen's message was dismissing everything in the past. And no, you need to hold to the tenets of the faith. You need to be abiders of the law. You need to do what the Old Testament says, the Ten Commandments. You need to follow the law of Moses, law of Moses, early in Acts. They kept going saying, you're dismissing the law of Moses. But Jesus, as the Messiah, came to fulfill the law of Moses. So putting it in context, well, Jeff, I know you you try to be deep and have nuance and different meanings. So are you saying that sometimes those within our church are thinking they're standing against woke culture when woke culture really is bringing out the truth of Jesus? I'm just saying we need to follow Jesus. And if Jesus is reaching into a community that we've never seen God reach into, we thought, oh, they're heathens, they're pagans, they are so far from God. But we start to hear good reports of people changing their decisions that are making uh, active responses to people because of the love of God. We have to be very careful to say that we don't say, well, that's not of God. Like, they're sinners. But we begin to see how even God, because he is God, can change sinners into saying, ah, there's something that, I don't know if I want to be like a full-on evangelical, born-again, Bible-even Christian, but ah, there's something I'm wrestling with and something that's getting to me and something I can't deny. And, and what if we just had the patience that we desire for us, that we have with others, that the Holy Spirit would just move and use and bring to light and make new and lift up, that that struggle becomes conviction, and that conviction leads to the Holy Spirit that gives us salvation. What if we, like Saul, are turning people that have longed for God away? We think we're doing the right thing. But at times we aren't. That's why I love this church. 
because primarily musically, we have not had, or at least since I've been pastor, we have not had worship wars. Anybody know what worship wars are? You remember the word worship wars? Like if you had choruses, but you didn't have hymns. Like, oh, hymns declare what we believe. Courses, they're just like blogs. People just like saying what they like, what they love about Jesus. And it was just this war. Churches split over this. You might not believe it. It was ridiculous, but it happened. Worship wars. This church, we can sing a hymn. We can sing a chorus. And people are like, whoa, I'm just praising God. I'm just declaring who he is. And then I'm just saying, Jesus, this is my prayer to be more like you. This is what we want to have happen, to know what we believe in such a way that we're willing to take that step of faith and walk towards Jesus in that belief. So this is what Saul, who becomes Paul, later writes. This Saul who thought he was doing the right thing, but he was not doing the right thing until Jesus got a hold of him. Then he understood. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Saul, who was in full uh, acceptance of Stephen being martyred, he goes on to say, this is from the NIV, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Saul became new. Saul had redemption. We too can turn our eyes from ourselves or on people or human situations to say, no, because of Jesus, the new is here. But we can't remember or we can't forget that in life, it's not just lived in the Bible or biblical times. Life is lived in 2023. Life is lived in trying to figure out winter in Vermont. Life is lived in the uncertainty, the unknown. When you're cracked and dry, as that last song said, this is where life is lived. And well, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem throughout Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I spent a lot of time on this verse when we were verse beginning in Acts, and it was Jerusalem is like right here. So say it's like the town you live in. Judea is like New England. Samaria is like the East Coast and the ends of the earth. Well, that's everything else. And so it expanded. It grew. So just remember that. And then also remember, Jesus told us, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I, Jesus speaking, have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, so this is what Jesus said. Matthew recorded it. This is what Luke is saying. He said it in the book of Luke, and he didn't think we got it. So now he's telling us in his second book, uh, Acts, what's really taking place. And so uh, he's telling us to uh, make that point even greater. Huh, we're supposed to go out. Like, what, what if I don't want to go out? What if I'm comfortable here? What if uh, Jesus isn't calling me to that place yet? And maybe Jesus is, but we just don't want to go because we're so comfortable at times, God allows persecution to happen. And I would even suggest, though very carefully, some church splits God will use because it gets Christians out of their comfort zone to spread the word of God. 
I'm not saying, hey, let's have a church split. Like, that's the greatest thing. No, but even those things God can use. And this after Stephen was martyred, after the Christians were being persecuted, after Saul was in full agreement of pulling the wives and the children out of homes that profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Not just on Sunday, not just on Life Group, not just at your workplace, not just at your school, but we began, they began to live differently. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah, Philip. So um, this was way back. I was a youth pastor in Johnson at a Nazarene church there. We went to New York City. Uh, We had the opportunity um, to go to the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church on a Tuesday night for their prayer meeting. This was the first time ever Jim Cimbala, the pastor there, and I don't think he would lie, but maybe he lied, but I don't really think he did. He said, I feel like God does not want us to pray tonight. Brooklyn Tabernacle Tuesday night prayer is like known. It's what they do. But we were there on this Tuesday night, and he said, I don't know if God wants us to pray. I think he wants me to tell you about Philip. So I'd like to steal his sermon, but it was like 25 years ago, and I can't remember the whole thing, but I do remember he used this passage. For example, Philip went to the city of Samaria. So we look at Acts 1.8. Do I have it? Oh, look at that. Sometimes I think I have slides, but I don't. So it went from Jerusalem, Judea, then where? So you start like where you live, then where you work, where you go. So it went from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. Where is Philip? Where? We can all say it together. Where? Wait. So it starts like here. Then it'll go here. And then here. And where's Philip? So he is out of his comfort zone. He was scattered and pushed out from what he always knew because God had a plan for his life. You could say, ah, I'll pick on musicians because I'm not musical and well, musicians are. It's like, uh, I've always liked to play, I don't know, the banjo. But it was just something I did on the side. Just something I did, like I pull out when we had company over, just over the holidays, uh, just the banjo. It's just, you know, it's just for me. And you might hear like, hey, like the music team's starting and there's a couple songs that a banjo would sound good. And maybe like God would want you, oh no, this is just what I do when family comes over. This is just what I have. Like just, I keep it to myself. And what if God's saying like, no, like I think I want you to use your gift because you have this interest, not just for you or your family, but to get out so others can hear what I've gifted you with. And you can be a blessing, not just to the church, but to others that come in that they can talk about, hey, I don't know what it was, but that banjo sounded nice. And it was related to this song. And then all of a sudden people are, whether it's a hymn or a chorus, they're just sharing, hey, this banjo introduced me to the love of God in a way that I didn't understand before, pushed us. You intended to harm me. This is from Genesis. This is Joseph to his brothers, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many. Now, whenever I preach a sermon similar or any inkling like this, my mom is always like, you guys aren't thinking of moving to Michigan, are you? And no, we're not. No, we're not. But this is whenever we're thinking about, oh, this is what I like. This is what I desire. This is where I just got comfortable. And Jesus is saying, well, I want to stretch you. I want to push you. It's like, no, God, I just started to give $5 a week. You want me to give 10%? 
no way. It's like, I'm just, and God's like, no, I have a desire for you to grow you, to help you see who I am as Savior, to help you see that I have a plan for your life. For what purpose? At what cost? Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. They were eager to hear his message. Why do you attend? This is rhetorical. Don't shout it out because or just keep it to yourself. Like zip your lip. Why do you attend or become part of a local church, whether this local church or another? Why did you start to attend? Was it because, well, my parents made me go and it just became a good habit? Was it just because I have friendships there? Or is it, man, I really enjoy these people? Or is it because there's Jesus there? The message of God is being presented here, his message. This is Philip's message concerning the gospel, the unigalion. That's Greek. I always have to throw in a Greek word so you think I sound like super uh, educated. So the unigalion, the good news. They were here to hear the good news that Jesus was alive, that Stephen was not just martyred in vain following some false prophet, but Stephen truly had given his life to the Savior, Jesus the Christ. So Christ is a title saying the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. This is what they were proclaiming. And to see the miraculous this does say miraculous signs. It's probably been quite a while, if ever, that we have seen a spiritual miraculous sign. There have been times in my life when I've been exposed to such things, and it's phenomenal. I do get concerned that sometimes we start to seek the sign and not hear the message. And maybe people come to church because they had an experience once where they got to see a miraculous sign. But, oh, the message of the gospel, that's kind of boring. I've heard it over and over. But I have to say, God does do the miraculous. And the very fact that God would create us and give his son for us, that we might have salvation is a miracle. And so if you just come to church for the social engagement, you come to church because you know that my mom will hug you or you want to see my dad's bright blue eyes or you just come to church for whatever reason, you have to understand that there is more to the local church and that is to hear the message of the gospel, the good news, that you are a sinner and that is only good because you know it about yourself. But Jesus says, yes, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, that you would be forgiven, that you would know that there is purpose, there is reason, there is hope for you. And that hope rests in who I am as Jesus. And that is miraculous. At what cost? Well, Jeff, I'll, I'll just stay in the U.S. because I don't have to get martyred here. Maybe. And I have to uh, be careful because I kind of grew up. Uh, I went to, well, I'll just blame the school. I kind of grew up in a very strict school. And I always thought like, if you said like, you don't want to do something, God's going to send you there, which kind of seems true, but isn't always true. If you're like, I don't want to be a missionary. That's the worst thing ever. Like you may not be a missionary, but you might have something deep within you that you feel like, Oh, I should be a missionary. So I'm not saying that God's out to get you and take your greatest fear and use it against you. I'm just saying God's created us with a deep desire to be used of him. At what cost are you willing to respond to him and say, God, here am I in my brokenness, in my weakness, in my acknowledgement that I need you as a savior. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. 
He went from house to house, dragging. Dragging. That's a pretty visual word. Uh, both men and women to throw them into prison. Saul, who thought he was doing the right thing, he really believed his education. He really believed the religious courses. He really believed the law was for him, was not following the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of Jesus. So we look at how we are to live. Matthew 5, 1 through 13, again from the New Living Translation. So it won't be the Beatitudes, if you're familiar with this chapter. But it is the Beatitudes. One day, as he saw the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you. When people mock you, persecute you, and lie about you, and say all sorts of evil against you because you are my, Jesus speaking, followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember that ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So you're the salt of the earth. Be what good but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. For which purpose? For God's purpose. To be useful. To be useful. To be lied about. To be spoken ill of. What if... Jesus was telling us something's going to happen. And whatever happens, wherever you go, I want you to be my witnesses where people know that I love you, I have forgiven you, and I desire for you to share that message of hope with others. Would you be willing to share that message with others? Because that's the only life-giving hope that we have. So as Saul, who became Paul, wrote, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Saul transforms to Paul. You, you might want to take a new name, but God has transformed your past. Or if you have not asked God to forgive you, he will take your past. You can remember it but you can move forward from it, understanding you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? That others might know that Jesus is Lord. That's it. That others might know that Jesus is Lord. So let us share the salvation, freedom, 
hope and healing of this new life. Let us share with others this hope and healing, the salvation and freedom that come from Jesus. As we close, I'm just going to ask us to close our eyes and just once again be thinking, who is someone that needs to know this hope and healing of Jesus? Who is someone that if they were to die right now based on the Bible, they would not have eternity in heaven? Now open your eyes and look around you. And I am praying that Garrett would be a witness to my friend that he doesn't know, but if God ever has him intersect, that Garrett would be a witness to my friend that I'm just longing for their salvation because at times there's some friends I feel I've exhausted every single resource I've had. I've prayed so much. I've interceded. I've given gifts. I've tried so hard to introduce them to Jesus, and I don't know what else to do. So I'm praying that Garrett might be used of God in that relationship, that God might use him to show kindness to this person, that I'm longing for their salvation. Maybe you might see Allison. Might you might see Glenn. Maybe there's somebody next to you that, oh, I don't know their name, but I've been praying for them because they're on the calendar. Maybe God would use them to somehow intersect with the life of this person. I've been praying for their salvation. And we would truly function as the church. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to follow you. We thank you that you have gone before us and we are hidden with you and God. So Jesus, here we are. We say we love you. Give us strength and courage to continue following you. May you be seen. Let your salvation be known. In your name we pray. Amen. And as we close, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So after Philip went on speaking, many evil spirits were cast out and many who had been sick were healed. This is the opportunity we have as believers to see and witness the truth of God. So then there was great joy in that city. What if the state, people would say, man, there's great joy in Vermont because a small little country church started to follow Jesus and as they followed Jesus, God brought the joy, and we became to be the example he created us to be. As we close with this song, feel free to shake hands, pick up chairs, get coffee. But I just want to dismiss with this song. Thank you so much. I can see the promised land. 